Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle. As always, I'm your host. And today I'm here with Gabrielle Alexa Noel talking about living in small spaces when you're polyamorous and living with your partners in those small spaces, right? We're going to talk a little bit about the unique challenges that are presented when you're trying not to live in the giant house in the suburbs where you can have your guest room and all of the advice about how it is that you just sort of move spaces over. But in fact, what you do when you're living in a smaller apartment, right? Uh, Because a lot of these challenges are a little bit different when you're trying to navigate multiple relationships in these different spaces. So Gabrielle, who lives in New York City, is here to talk with me about this. You might know her from social media. She's at Gab Alexa on Instagram, Twitter, threads, all of the different socials. She's on TikTok. Her videos are hilarious. Um, And so she's here to chat with me about this. In addition to her lived experiences, Gabrielle is a developer for Hashtag Open and works with their different educational initiatives. And so she talked with me for a good long while about our perspectives on the different kinds of sort of focuses of accountability and boundaries and community that you need to have to really make polyamory work under these different circumstances compared to under others. I hope you guys really enjoy listening to our conversation. Here it is for you all. So thank you for being with me today to chat about cohabitation while polyamorous and especially about cohabiting in small spaces because I know you live in the city and it is not always easy to find a place that is particularly large to share with your partner. It's even harder today. The I mean, I know that housing is a huge thing. And recently in New York, uh, legislation was passed so that um, Airbnb would have to give back all of the places that they have been renting. Um, but they're giving out boxes and saying it's $3,000 at this point in New York. It's bonkers <laughs> oh it's a little bit more complicated too um in a financial crisis right <laughs> yes rent is wild all over but especially in cities yeah so i my girlfriend and i just moved maybe it's been a few months now into our own apartment we were sharing with a roommate before and our own apartment it is lovely but it's certainly very small i can hear everything in this apartment we um now that uh, therapy is telehealth and so we're taking our therapy and psychology psychiatrist appointments in the same place we really wanted a two-bedroom at minimum to be able to do that but it might as well be a one-bedroom with like a cloth between because <laughs> I can hear everything that's going on in that room and it's tough yes I definitely did the thing of setting up the like tiny noise machine at the edge of my room to see if we could drown out the stuff that does not super function it just drowns out the being able to hear the practitioner i'm working with yeah right oh it's so frustrating but you know it also is a great place in our relationship to be moving in together because i think when you're first opening a a relationship not that we we didn't open a relationship together right we were both open when we met each other but still in the early stages of, of that experience, regardless, it's really hard to have like a, a, a really independent way of, of dividing time or, or managing polyamory. And I, I think it would have been a lot harder if I hadn't already been living with someone for a really long time and then opened a relationship and then had to relearn independence outside of that. I think I would have struggled for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like know. to do it now. I'm like, oh, good. So we're we're already in a place in our relationship. This is no problem. People come over. It's no problem. You know, we're we're already in a system. Right. I always felt like I was really lucky because I met both my ex husband and my kid's dad, who are the two people who I was in relationships with that I cohabited with, from a place of openness. Because mm-hmm. I never had to do the thing of like we've already been living together for three years. And then mm-hmm. we figure out how to do this. Yeah. I mean, I, I dated someone recently who was married and had a, a house mm-hmm. and um, who was a, admittedly hierarchical in their polyamory, but was like moving to where it was hopefully moving towards a place of relationship anarchy. Um, but I think from that lens, like 
opening a, a married relationship didn't really I'm sure for their friend groups that they were very very like progressive and independent comparatively but they were still unpacking things it was really early in their journey and the fact that they had this huge home and the privilege of the marriage and the nuclear family that they had really impacted what they felt entitled to and so I almost I think you know left that interaction with all the chip on my shoulder like I only want to date people who are in the same situation you know sharing space in New York sharing space in somewhere that's like small who have to maintain polyamory regardless because I feel like it does it teaches certain skills yeah I think sometimes even if you're maintaining a certain amount of hierarchy if you're in those smaller spaces you learn some of those skills faster right you have like, to be intentional about it, right like right. I can literally hear everything that people are saying in this apartment so if we want alone time with another partner in the apartment we have to be super intentional about it um or we have to get over like oh we might hear you guys talking when you're on a date and like get over certain distances that are super easy in a um another context I mean I see a lot of content online where they're like oh I hate when my partner's partner comes over so I force them to like spend the whole time in the basement so I don't hear anything that is a privilege I cannot believe there are people who can put someone in the basement <laughs> well or even like that the basement is so perfectly soundproofed that you don't hear shit right it's a privilege right yeah we were just talking about that about how you can hear everything in your home exactly yeah I I can't even fathom having that preference of like wanting a certain distance and like from my partner's relationships because where where would I go like when so when I was with my ex-husband we lived in Montreal we lived in a one-bedroom apartment right well at first we lived together with a roommate in a two-bedroom and then we moved to a one-bedroom apartment and in both those scenarios being with somebody else on a date meant planning time for the other person to be all the way out of the house whether that's that they were on their own date whether it's that we were at work whatever the hell it was right mm -hmm. yeah it teaches or, you like, or that we were we, home <laughs> yeah right, right um I go to my boyfriend's a lot and it's his girlfriend travels a lot so sometimes I'm like oh like we have the whole week she's not even here but sometimes it's like she's like I don't want to have to like I've just been traveling and I don't want to have to get kicked out so is there wiggle room here because I've been gone for six months and I want to sit in my bed mm -hmm. things like that like I still think you know it makes sense like I'm not trying to say that you should always be fully immersed and like out of your comfort zone in your home because of polyamory but just that there's like you know nuance right there's nuance there's in between space there's I went out a fair bit of the time because we lived in a big city where there were 24-hour coffee shops and there were places I could be, but I also worked 3 to 11 at that time, and sometimes I got out of work at 11 and wanted to come home and rot directly into my couch. And so, okay, you can finish up your date, but I am going to put on headphones as my signal that I do not even really want to talk to you. Right. Good evening. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. You're talking about using tools essentially. And I think headphones are one of the best accommodations that are out there for a whole variety of things. But like, there are some people who are like, I shouldn't have to put on headphones in my own home. I deserve like to fully take up space in my place. And not to suggest that that's wrong. Cause I could, I can see certain contexts where that's like, I get that dying on that hill, but like, I think being in a small place teaches you like as a partner and as someone who's in polyamory if I'm trying to make it easy for my partner like how can I make it that mm -hmm. how can I intentionally uh, create space for them in the apartment how can I intentionally pursue my own hobbies so that they have space in the apartment for alone time or time with partners um have I seen my partners <laughs> recently because then I haven't left the house in a little bit so of course, now she's like, when are you going? <laughs> right. Like, are they doing the same for you? Are they also making space? Mm -hmm. Some of that question of equitability also comes into it.
because people focus on the boundaries that they can put like what won't happen to me now that we're opening our relationship but they don't think of like what am I going to offer what am I going to expand on in terms of like willingness to allow my partner to have the freedom I want them to have and allow that to like more accurately align with our values Right. We talk a lot about looking to our values for boundary setting, but we don't talk a lot about looking to our values in terms of building community. And part of building community is being willing to acknowledge what level of inconveniencing one another is still part of community building, right? Mm -hmm. You don't actually build friendships and community only by being perfectly convenienced mutually at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. That's the hardest part is it's like some people are really like, I should never be inconvenienced. And I, I think polyamory has helped me in adopting a, like, I don't think I have a right to comfort kind of attitude. Um, like I, I just generally don't because things in polyamory have often not been comfortable, but have been really healing and beautiful. And, you know, I can see value in them without them necessarily being comfortable. So when other people are like, oh, but I feel uncomfortable. It's, it's, I think a little hard for me to sympathize, especially when it's like a good, it's like a healthy discomfort. Right. We have a right to safety. We don't have a right to comfort. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have misaligned those two concepts. Yeah. And that can be really challenging. Yeah. Because oh, the yeah. level of helping folks unpack that. Well, so that was, I mean, essentially that was, uh, when my partner and I were living with a roommate, that was the problem was like that she was conflating safety and comfort. And so when she was uncomfortable about nothing, like she would be like, I'm unsafe. <laughs> I'm calling the cops. I'm like, what are you talking about? Or like, I, you know, I, I recommended mediation, which is again, it's honestly, these are skills I learned from polyamory, not to say that I didn't already have a lot of them, but they emphasized and taught me like the resources, like knowing that there is a mediation organization in New York that handles like roommate disputes and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, those are those are skills like I built upon because of polyamory. So I was like, okay, if you're uncomfortable, like here's how we can compromise on that without um, inconveniencing each other beyond what is fair. And I think people who who don't practice that skill in other contexts, when other people throw it at them, they are suspicious of it. Like I said, mediation and she changed the, she sold the couch and changed all the locks on the door. And I was like, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, what did you hear? <laughs> right. The face that I am making at this person hearing mediation and going, I'm being attacked. My level of safety has just gone through the basement is wild right. to me. And I, and I just like, I think was really always searching for language in those moments of like, how can I translate what I've learned from polyamory? But really it's body knowledge. It's that I had a lot of trauma going into polyamory and a lot of um, like awareness of systems, but not quite like the, the body knowledge, if that makes sense. Uh, like I intellectually could recognize certain systems were at play in my life, but I wasn't really like always quick with recognizing. Um, and, and just by practicing polyamory, I feel like I created a container where things were not necessarily comfortable, but always safe and therefore expanded my vision of like what growth looks like. And like getting emotional and nervous system knowledge to catch up with your intellectual knowledge on these things. Right. Yeah. That's the perfect language. Exactly. Um, and so like, I feel like now a lot of my work in my content is like, I'm like, how can I translate that to people who are not polyamorous, but who I still think could benefit from stepping out of their comfort zone in love in general? Like, even if it's not to polyamory or non-monogamy, monogamy studies show could really benefit from a lot of the skills that non-monogamous multi-partnered people are practicing. Mm -hmm. And of course, I work at hashtag open. And so we are expanding that in a big way. And I'm always excited that I work in an industry where I get to like expand in multiple ways. Like my content can be funny and entertaining and expand in that way. And then I can think of, I mean, anything in as it pertains to the app. So right now we're actually working on more educational modules for within the app, um, uh, specifically focused on consent. We, you know, we're partnering with a lot of other organizations that do host events because I think, I think a lot of uh, event organizers have noticed that like it's 
we need more of a robust consent framework that is like a universalized thing for a lot of like event programming and um, dating in general. So just trying to implement consent education and express that like discomfort and safety are different. Here's how we create safer and here's how we um, work in healthy ways with our discomfort. Absolutely. And I think we're getting to a point where our culture can start to understand some nuance around consent and around boundaries that has not been present in a yes. way where we can, yes, reinforce all of our boundaries and find a place where we can set healthy boundaries with people without thinking that every form of discomfort we experience requires rigid boundaries that we then try to impose upon other people's behavior as rules instead of boundaries for ourselves around our own behavior in response to stimuli. Yeah, 100%. And like, I think it's really valuable that you guys are helping expand that work outward. Yeah, I mean, because there's dating apps already, but like, I think the, the environment of a dating app is already a certain way because of the way that people are. And we have obviously like, we're using our socials to educate a lot. But the social media community that follow us is, follows us is so different from the community that's in the app. Like, it's already the people most inclined to those mm -hmm. viewpoints that are you know, transferring from the app to socials, but then all the people in the app who are still, you know, causing problems for other users, they're not getting the consent education. And there's so many people who we speak to on a support level who I can tell that they would be better um, community members with education. Um, but I'm, it's hard to like, no one's tolerance is going to be there for someone before they're ready. Yes. And like, look, on a practical level, there's also this issue of in our relationships, when we're trying to get through these discomfort periods that are moments of growth, we have to identify that that discomfort isn't a source of a lack of safety. And we have to commit to like work with our partners through that discomfort and work okay. with our metas through that lack of comfort, right? And yeah. a lot of people just aren't willing to do that. Well, it depends, you know, what, what do, at least for you, what does working with your polycule um, during discomfort look like? I know it looks different for everyone, you know? Right, so I think it varies depending on the kind of discomfort and on what the situation requires, right? So for me, in the examples that I'm using from like back when I was living in Montreal with my ex-husband, it was things like figuring out tools that I could use to signal that like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with this kind of interaction at this kind of time. So for about half of them, I'm going to avoid the interaction by signaling that I don't want the interaction. And about half the time, I'm going to have the interaction, even if I'm a little bit uncomfortable because I'd rather work through it, right? And yeah. over time, the interactions became less uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Same for me. Right. I mean, before being non-monogamous, if you would have talked to me about attachment, I thought I was just born with a fixed, rigidly insecure attachment style. I had no concept out, especially from when I within monogamy, I had no concept of how to be securely attached in a deeply competitive inherently framework and especially and this is what you know as a neurodivergent who is black I feel like I could recognize like racial desirability politics playing out in dating but like no one was saying anything and I was like I just can't do this anymore I, I need like more upfrontness and life in general but I, I do think a lot of like in monogamy you don't it, it's so competitive and no, and that essential framework is not, we're like naturalized to it. We're just like, la la la. There's like songs about like, I'm better than her. And we were just like, yeah, that's normal. Right. When you put me in that competitive framework and you look at an attachment lens, it looks like I am the most disorganized attachment style basically possible. Yeah. And like part of that's my neurodivergence. Part of that is the culture that we grow up in, right? Part of that is trying to be a fat neurodivergent woman living in this desirability politics atmosphere, right? 
you're like, you know, growing up, I, I'm really, I'm responding to these clear systems that are in play mm-hmm. in my relationships, but no one's talking about them. And when I talk about it, I sound like the haters. So now I'm just, I'm going to forego this. <laughs> right. But like, when you look at attachment through like the lens that you can look in an individual relationship where you build attachment within an individual relationship, mm-hmm. I can be insecure individual relationships. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's success. I mean, I definitely think more so in monogamy, but um, it, it it's just like completely different based on the context. And so now I'm like looking more into uh, people who are suggesting that it's co-created, that it's about the dynamic, that it's mm-hmm. our responses to a specific dynamic and not like something fixed. Mm-hmm. But that's something, again, that like polyamory and of course, learning more about um brain chemistry has taught me <laughs> and nervous. Right. And honestly, no one ever suggested to me that this was something that wasn't fixed until after I got into a polyamorous lens of examining this. Yeah, you're right. I, I, it's only something that I've heard really from polyamorous people. When I talk to monogamous people, they're like, oh, I just have insecure attachment. I could never do polyamory. <laughs> well, right. It was just, I have insecure attachment. And so I needed to find a secure person and use their security to fix me. Right. But then they also say that there's less secure people available. Like there's like statistical comparisons of the groups well, and it just doesn't it? make sense. So I'm like, okay, so there's le- there's not even enough of us. Everyone's apparently insecurely attached or disorganized attached. Well, and then I got the all the says that if your parents got divorced when you were little, you're not going to be secure. And so we're all from this generation where everybody's parents split up. So my parents did not split up, but like well, neither I did mine personally. Feel... But I show all of these signs, right? And like, fine. What I feel more like, so of course, divorce. I mean, is... but statistically, they have said that this is part of why they think we all look insecure as a generation. Oh, yeah. um, I guess I, I, you know, from my perspective, I do. I think there is because my parents are are both black, right? So there's not mm-hmm. like a like huge. Um, differences I mean there's like color differences but not like huge Mm -hmm. racial differences um and I think like ableism plays out more in their relationship than anything else like I feel like there's like that um that pushing each other to be on it all the time because that's survival Mm -hmm. for them like that is more in their dynamic and so for them like secure attachment is that like you know survival in some really harsh conditions versus secure attachment for me like I'm like do you guys do we agree on what secure attachment is like how are I I guess it's what you were saying rather the lens through which you're examining it mm-hmm. um, for their context like my life is not secure but for my context I feel way more stable <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like more stable to the changes of life mm-hmm. rather than stable in that I try to keep things in my life the same consistently Right. My ability to be resilient. Yes. And my ability to be on an emotionally stable keel despite changes is so much greater now. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, like, now we have gone on a full philosophical tilt around this topic that we're theoretically working on of how do you live with partners in small spaces by just going, look, what this has taught us is. But like it is, these are the skills you obtain. It's about, I mean, if we're gonna in community, and if we're gonna do like go to a more actionable thing, I think what I learned was that I just had to do polyamory, (laughs) like, or I just had to (laughs) do the thing that I was so afraid of, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I spent so much time researching and reading, like Mm -hmm. anyone else, and I was a journalist, so I even interviewed people. Mm -hmm. I was like you're polyamorous like how are you doing it like I went around doing that before I myself was like let me try this and at a certain point I had to be like I am burying myself in homework instead of taking a leap and actually building the skills in in the environment where they're built um people want to skip and they are like I'm going to get all of the non-monogamy skills I need before doing it and I don't know if that's possible for anyone else, but I just don't think that's possible for a lot of people. So I did the exact opposite. I read nothing. I did no preparation. I got asked on a date if I'd heard of polyamory. I said no. 
And then he went, well, what about open relationships? And I, as somebody who listened to Dan Savage sometime, went, yes, of course. Oh, uh-huh. And then started dating polyamorously at 19. That's such a funny story. Oh, my goodness. You're brave. Wow. And, like, wow, looked back a tiny bit, but, like, not significantly too much. Yeah. Met my wow. ex-husband when I was 21, just before I turned 21. Hmm. moved in with him at 22 got married at 23 mm -hmm. divorced at 25 whoa yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah. so like wow. i i do not recommend marrying people when you're quite young because you don't have a great grasp on your personal compatibility most of the time yeah. but like beyond I that i think most of my choices were pretty reasonable i think like the way I frame it is that I think people's uh, first two decades of their life are really about like their parents taught them how to survive in the world. And then the next, the twenties are you being like, okay, like, let me compare that information with my lived experience now. And I don't think that, that those years are the opportune time to make the rest of your life decisions. Yeah. Because of that. It's like, my vision of marriage, right, was literally just like, get, you know, inherited. And so I didn't think until literally like 25 or so to question it. Mm -hmm. So how could I have made it? And I, I almost got married. Um, but then I, my whole ass, I was like, well, we'd have to have a threesome first because I've mm -hmm. never fucked a girl. And he broke up with me. <laughs> and I was so sad for two years. I was like, I should have been less slutty. I should have been more modest. It was like such a huge thing in our relationship, like throwing out clothes that were too slutty. And like, it took those years to realize that he gave me such a good fucking gift by doing that, by being mm -hmm. like, we are fundamentally inc incompatible. And he really, he was wanted to get married soon. Um, in particular, there was like a lot of pressure for us to get married because he was undocumented and, um, I, I would have rushed it because we had tried so many things in terms of documentation and mm -hmm. then I would have just been like whatever let's just do it and there were so many times where like we were just sitting next to each other like let's just go run off and do it now so that our lives in the interim is, are is simplified mm -hmm. exactly um I would have done that if not for me being like but we have to have a threesome first and he was like no <laughs> Look, in hindsight, amazing for you. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I think so many choices end up revealing to us different ways of being. And so, like, when I point out that the way I do non-monogamy has looked entirely different every 18 months, the reason oh, wow. I point that out is not that, like, I'm having these enormous, like, mental changes every few months – but it's that realizing little things about yourself as you go can really change the way your life looks. And especially yeah. if you start something young and don't know yourself that well yet, coming to know yourself can dramatically change the way you do things. Yes. So yeah, yeah. like since I started this so young and since I was just coming to know myself and since the like cultural ethos around polyamory has changed a lot, right? When I started doing this, I picked up the ethical slut sometime around when I was like yeah. 21, 22. And then I picked up more than two sometime around when I was like 25 and went, oh, there's a book about this. Cool. I'm doing this already, but good to know. Right. Well, that's something I observed with one of my metamors, uh, where like her initial like experiences with non-monogamy were based on her context and she's a very private person and a very private family so like she was very don't ask don't tell but in, in a way that like worked for a little mm -hmm. bit and so you know my partner being the hinge between us was like okay I have super private partner and then I have influencer mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was hard to balance I, it for sure was hard for my partner to balance but it was also kind of like, um, like because we come from those different worlds, like coming to each other's experience and being like, okay, I'm not going to post any of your business online, I swear. And like building that trust, but then also vice versa being like, you know, at the same time, can I get pictures for myself? Like, can you trust me to 
be a friend and like to, to do normal friend things that are not for the internet mm-hmm. um yeah I just think that that like that I hadn't I had gone into polyamory expecting all of my metamors would be exactly like me and that there wouldn't have to be that balancing act because I'm like all you have to do is get along and I'm great I get along with everyone I mean not really but like i try to get along with everyone so like what could possibly go wrong and I didn't think like you can get along with someone and still fundamentally have these huge differences and like I I feel like I had to translate like jargon almost like I'd be like oh my gosh Kim Persian she'd be like what the fuck are you talking about I'm like it's it's a thing that happens when you feel good you don't go on Instagram like I'm at the point where like she's like I'm not on Instagram like can you just tell me the word the the definition and I I thought all polyamorous people just had one shared vernacular I can't believe it well right like I was hierarchical without thinking about what hierarchical was because I just hadn't unpacked enough shit yet because like oh that's just what we do and then I got to a point where I was like really unpacking things Mm -hmm. and it was perfectly natural to have unpacked all of that but my attitude was very, it takes a long time for people to unpack stuff. So I'm going to be very like gentle with people who haven't unpacked any of this. And then another yeah. five years later, I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to be less gentle with people who haven't unpacked this. Because now the whole internet talks about this. You can look it up. Well, Three years ago, no one talked about this online. I can send you some things and give you six months. And if in six months you're not coming back with some brains about it, what's wrong with you? And then I yeah. circled back around to, I'm going to be gentle about it because I don't need you to do homework to love somebody. Right. right. So oh, like, I mean, so I'm in, a, I'm in one all side of different the points in that circle that I have gone through over, you know, yeah. the last 15 years. I'm, I'm, my job has created a new circle that I didn't expect, which is, you know, I went to this, to PCAP last year and it was mm-hmm. great, but it certainly like going in, I felt very like anthropological in that, like, this is a, a culture, right? It's a, mm-hmm. a, a subculture that I'm not a part of And just because we are all non-monogamous, which is one subculture, like, doesn't mean our versions of it are going to like interact. And because I'm in the minority, cause it's a swingers convention and I'm mm-hmm. polyamorous like I should go as if I like don't know anything you know like completely Mm -hmm. remove any assumptions and like just go with the experience um and I can see like I honestly think that a lot of people who identify as swingers could find other like other language could apply to them Mm -hmm. and that there's a lot more connections than I would have thought like a, a lot of swingers are essentially like recreating polyamory but within their own community yeah like it's a community I think for them to unpack hierarchy just differently mm-hmm. um and I feel like that was a really like interesting thing to learn and now as we're expanding our consent education um you know some of the challenges are that couples who are like swinging are more used to being seen as a package deal like they are literally like they want to share a profile. They don't want to do anything that's not together. They don't want to individually have to do a consent module, for example. They think we both, we'll just do it together. And it's like, how do you, like, as someone whose patience for that was not at its highest prior to that experience and who is now trying to incorporate that and be like, okay, how can I reach them where they're at? Because it is an app, right? And the mm-hmm. point of UI is to reach people where they're at. So like, how can we specifically like speak to that group of people who is unpacking and who could look politically like what I want them to look I guess right. not that that's a requirement to use the app but like how can I speak in their language and imagine them as like more similar to myself yeah where I'm at right now that one's hard but I think it's important you know yeah for sure and it's that thing of like just because someone is with someone who I care about doesn't mean that they are at anywhere that I have imagined and yeah. you have to meet people at the place where they are no matter what I mean, and that's yeah. a thing that small space uh, polyamory taught me a lot of mm-hmm. that I then brought forward into bigger space polyamory that gave me a lot of patience for the same challenges coming up yeah I mean it was it was really hard recently someone was who um who I dated was using a lot of language around like oh like you know I was basically veto powering uh mm-hmm. and but was trying to be like oh like 
this is not that like it's not veto it's actually just working with my discomfort mm-hmm. so I'm always like you know I'm very right. like it's not a veto it's but it's a veto in other clothes right it was like I was so let me tell you this I was dating her and my partner started dating her husband and I thought that was funny because I was like great because like now some we all have someone to hang out with like who would have thought um but and at the time she had been dating and like actively glamorous but I think in that we've all been there of we don't expect how we will feel when our partner actually starts to take advantage of of the open dynamic until it happens yes, so that was just the first time that he had he was you know he was a like soft musician type I'm not I don't know if he actually played music he just felt like he did the vibe yeah um, and that's my partner's type so as soon as I saw it I was like that's they're they're locked in and the wife was like whoa I didn't I didn't mean for all of this let's slow it down she's like actually I have I have so many things going on what if we all slowed it down until two months from now or like maybe revisit I was like what like while I can appreciate being like well I want to take steps for myself trying to dictate the speed of four people as a result Mm -hmm. and she was like well shouldn't we all be working as a polycule with my discomfort but she's ordering us to do something you know what I mean like She's not recognizing that that is a rule. Abruptly being like, well, guys, everybody stop talking. <laughs> we, from now on, we will not be hanging out alone. Uh, we can only hang out as a group. I was like, girl. Yeah, I think it's a side effect of people giving advice for many years that you should go at the pace of the slowest person's comfort. That like- do sometimes well like, right and of. it does apply sometimes but it doesn't apply when that means somebody turn around and give edicts yeah and yeah. so it's one of those things where there are no absolutes mm-hmm. and so it's not like you can hear a situation and go okay here's the neat bow to tie on it yeah yeah that's true it's just it's hard I mean that is essentially what people look to content for and they shouldn't because it's like less than a minute who can give all the nuance and then it puts content creators like us in the position of like 15 of those valuable 60 seconds is clarifying details um in advance of whatever pushback it's why I hate making tiny little carousels of content because I'm like there is 2,000 words of nuance to follow this yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, exactly. So, I don't know. Go at the slowest. I, there, there was a point where I was like, go at the slowest pace. Yes. Like, I was, I think, frustrated with my partner because um, my cousin had passed away and I was really sad. And I was like, this is, yeah, I do feel like you could be supporting me a little bit more instead of digging into NRE. Like, we got a funeral to go to. Um, versus, like, like, go at the slowest pace, meaning, like, if somebody dies and we are newly like both doing something like and there's no one who is impacted like you're not already dating someone Mm -hmm. like officially like let's chill out a bit Mm -hmm. but I think when you're like I once other people are involved you now have other people's feelings to consider and once you've already stepped across that that threshold I think you should be just just a smidge more considerate in that like by me doing this like that person will could be hurt will be impacted like what are their thoughts do they have another suggestion that maybe gets would serve to meet my needs would make me feel safe but still get the accomplished thing done right is there a middle ground that also makes me feel safe Mm -hmm. because usually there's more than one option that makes you feel safe and going put on breaks is not the only thing but it's the first thing people think of yeah and it's like I have so much sympathy for that because like I get it like you're like I don't have any other solutions in my brain like this is what my brain is telling me is the solution and you just want everyone to get on board I can empathize with that feeling because who hasn't felt that way but like take the leap like there's other people and you know I think ethically considering that people have the best of intentions 
even if you do get, you know, ruined by a few people, burned by a few people, for the most part, I think you'll come out okay. Well, and I find that to actually be the hardest thing about giving advice about sharing space in homes is people go, well, but what can I do? My home is my sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I only want so many people in it or so much lack of control over who comes into it or I need to set this many rules about who comes into it when. I mean, and I so have some sympathy for that, right? Like I have some sympathy for your home is your sanctuary and you want some input into how it gets used. But also, do you feel that way when it comes to people's friends coming over? Right. Right? Like, cause if you do, and if you and your partner have had like detailed negotiations over when friends come over or don't, and over whether or not y'all have drop-in friends, right? Because Yeah. I am legitimately that person. When I live with someone, drop-in friends do not exist. You can have whatever plans you want with people so long as you plan them 24 hours or more in advance. It is like the landlord coming over. I need Got to know it. that people are going to be in my house so that I can have cleaned and I can be mentally prepared. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I know definitely. that that's obnoxious, but I warn people. I mean, I think my girlfriend would have if she thought to tell me that when we moved in together, maybe, but like right now we live really close to all my friends and they're just like, Boop, hi. <laughs> and Well, right. she hadn't, I don't think, I don't think it had occurred to her. And then she was like, well, honestly, it, you know, we just let partners pop up. So I guess the friends can come and we went kind of backwards. <laughs> Well, right. And like eventually me and my ex-husband got to the point where we were living in our little one bedroom around the corner from a couple who were like our best friends and two blocks away from another couple who we were really close to. And we were like, okay, they are the exceptions. They're allowed. with no waiting period or whatever but like Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could get to that certain level of comfort with some people where you're like, with you can some come. people where it's like they're not people Right, right, right. but people need notice and if it's somebody's mother coming over i need like a week <laughs> the apartment needs to be spick and span this is not Mm -hmm. Listen, I wish I got a week before. look my mom is not from this country I need to Oh. have cleaned a place to a point of like Yeah, yeah. a level that I do not live in. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom lives a few blocks away and I'm still like, I really have to clean up for her. And then the last time she came over, she was taking care of me because I was sick. So it was a mess. I was sick. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, she's never going to let me forget the mess. That was my sick Mhm. Mm apartment. mhm. Mm That's That's correct. the last place she saw. Mhm. Yep. That My mom came over when I was sick once, if, like, as a young adult, and she still, like, 10 years later, is, like, the way you live. Right. So, I mean, same There's with no getting my, over it. same with my partner's mom. She comes over, she's like, what if we moved to this here? Now we have a whole room redesigned. Yeah, good. But so, yes, I find that, like, the difference between a small space and a large space is that these advice that pl people give about, like, just make sure you have a guest room. <laughs> it's like, what? Right. Um, when I started dating my partners, I was still with my parents. Um, And then maybe a month after Olivia and I started dating, COVID hit. So it wasn't like, I mean, it was really, we knew it was going to be, it was going to be difficult, right? And it got, when I moved in with Olivia originally, for that first month, she was like, we're moving. Everything is junky. We still have so many things to get. So Kabir, my current partner, can come over and his partner can come over but nobody else and then I got a crush and I was like hey I'm really sorry but I know you said that but there's nowhere else for her to go it was like a really it was you know we were going to a party and she lived really far she didn't have anywhere else to go in the in-between time of like you know she needed to sleep somewhere she was like I'll sleep on the couch I'll bring weed and she was really excited to meet Olivia she was like I can't wait to be besties She had that like metamore enthusiasm, not realizing that like maybe my partner's just like not interested right now. Like maybe we just moved and my partner wants to not meet any humans <laughs> right now. Uh, so that was hard. She, had, I, she was like, 
you know what, I, I will concede, but I really don't want to talk to this person who's really excited to meet me. And this person bursts in and is like, besties. I'm like, oh my God. So it had to be a lot of like balancing of not, of not, you know, setting boundaries and, and respecting that those boundaries are there because they help polyamory be successful, more successful in the future. Like, mm -hmm. because she was able to take that space, she could show up differently when we all hung out in like a more consensual way when we planned to hang out yeah. um, and just like remembering you're like paying into the piggy bank of the future ease by being flexible but still like allowing someone to maintain the space that they're trying to create yes paying attention when somebody needs to go into their own room or needs to like put on those headphones and not talk to you right now means that yep. later when everybody goes out and gets a meal they can actually get close to you and be friendly with you and not be like nope i need strict parallel i can't interact with this person y'all need to go to their place all the damn time right she was like you she can come i'm gonna put my headphones in she did a little a little hug but was very like i can't yet this is not a meeting i want to wait until we meet and then when we did meet i was like what a great time mm -hmm. <laughs> Oops. It wouldn't have been if I if we had forced more of a meeting that first day, it wouldn't have been good because she was over it. <laughs> right. If you're like overstimulated and tired and your place is in no place to do it. Right. It's really easy to be like, why is this happening? Who yeah. is this person who's forcing this upon me? And, and it's right. much easier to blame your meta problem. than your partner who you love. Oh no, she was like <laughs> she was like, it's <laughs> this girl does not, not you know, obviously a meta or possible meta had no idea how exhausted she was to know mm -hmm. that her enthusiasm would be that like jarring you know who knows their enthusiasm is going to be jarring mm -hmm. so you know she was very clear like this is not her fault mm -hmm. and, and she but she was also kind of like something that I appreciated was she was like it's not your fault for having a crush either like you I I didn't control it, it or anything and I was trying to extend the like slow burn of it out for that first month and it was like the end of the month I was like oh, I really wanted it to work out. And and it's okay if you say no, like we will figure something out if she can't stay here because I don't want to compromise anything. But what do you think? And I don't think we would have been in the place to collaborate like that like a year prior. Mm -hmm. but, but what are you going to do? We share space. Yeah. I'm having this room. Yeah, exactly. It's that you inconvenience each other sometimes, but you know how to handle that. Yeah, 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 yeah. People That's develop the skills of mutual inconvenience. Yeah, and like mutual discomfort, exactly. And like the the coping tools for that, right? Like she mm -hmm. does know that she has her headphones or she has those like, um, I don't know what they would be, the like plugs. Yeah. Um, they like filter the sound though. They don't like- Right, the fancy ones. The like, mm -hmm. there's all the different brands that do them that I get advertised constantly, but I haven't bought because I'm too cheap. Yes. Oh, same. I haven't either, but my partner has them. And so she knows that she has those tools and it took a long time for her to realize what was happening in her body, mm -hmm. what the solution was, what the trigger was, like all of those things took those moments of inconvenience and discomfort coming up originally and us handling it maybe not so well. Yeah. And then circling back around and being like, Hey, I really have to inconvenience you, but here's how I've already thought about the situation. What do you think? And it's okay if the answer is still no but let's just talk about it and yeah, having and that like more fun of showing up and the answer being no some of the time is also okay i think people imagine that if they say yes some of the time they're going to be stuck in a loop of saying yes to everything always in yeah. these situations where they're cohabiting like if i say yes to date night when i'm home some of the time i'm going to be there listening to their dates every wednesday for the rest of eternity and like, <laughs> no, you are not signing up for a complete series of events just because you say yes once. Yeah. I mean, this is something that we talk about in terms of expansive consent in like our education, which is like consent being reversible also means that like you're constantly checking in and creating space for that person to feel like they can change their mind and like but something else that I ran into is like sometimes people don't believe the space that you're creating like you could be like you have all the space you can do whatever you can say no you can say no you can say no and they could still be like but how could I have said no and then you're like I told you 90 million times if it's no 
So you also like, you know, you have to support your partner in feeling like their no is accessible and make them feel safe to, to you know, help them to feel safe in saying no, mm-hmm. but you can't make them feel safe. Like you can't do all of it. So it's also like holding that. Right. It's mutual. There is no way to do it one-sided. Mm-hmm. I think like in the beginning of polyamory, that's what you're searching for. You're like, if I find like one way that fits everything, I'll have one polyamory. Um, I And I just, I used to have a, a cork board that was like my vision board that I did one New Year's when I, in early in my polyamory journey. And I had like a note on it that was like, I'm going to master polyamory. And I think that's what I meant, right? Is that I'm going to never, ever, ever want for anything. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, what I should have written is that I'm going to like expand more or I'm going to be willing to push my own boundaries but also recognize when I'm too far out of that window of tolerance like those are more Mm -hmm. what mastery was not not feeling (laughs) look winning polyamory a perfectly normal thing to want it's like winning therapy obviously that tweet format was not out yet when I made this vision board (laughs) uh my friends were all like that's my monogamous friends were like that sounds good yeah mm, good goal sure we're supporting and now I'm like oh my goodness there was that was just a like a goal that was unachievable master look if they told you you were delusional you would have been like you're all haters I can't do it (laughs) like so that's true that's true they were there when I came out as bisexual and you know what I did call them haters sometimes for pretty benign things <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I can't. No, so you're right. You're right. <laughs> Just how many of my friends have been like, what do you mean? That's insane. And I've been like, mm, sounds like you just sounds hate like my ambition. Yeah. No, no. At this point, they love to bring up there was like an, an ex that I had who was really awful. Um, I would not tolerate someone treating me like that today, you know, and my friends were just like, what is happening? Like, how is she not seeing this person's awful? And I was like, you guys are homophobic. So (laughs) I'm sorry, guys, I almost fell out of my chair at that punchline. Um, I mean, obviously now it's like, we're all like, ha remember that time we all were arguing? Yeah. Yeah, no, that seems exactly correct, though. That's yeah. how this works. So I really appreciate you coming and joining me and chatting about all of this. Are there any questions that I haven't asked you that you just have, like, burning in the back of your mind? Any things that you really need to get out there? Hmm. No, I mean, I I think this was actually a really clarifying discussion on my own thoughts because I haven't been able to like fully, you know, get the words behind what I think I've learned, which is like, it feels like I'm just like, try polyamory. And I'm more like, no, like I think any skill in your life, um, any like framework that you have that you can push yourself out of your comfort zone in safe ways and learn a lot. And I think polyamory is just one of the relational ways that people do that. Right. And that really this notion of trying to cohabit while doing it is really just one more lens through which you've focused your ability to practice those skills that's what i've sort of ended up taking away from our discussion yeah well because i mean someone commented and was like but how and i thought i did a video explaining how i navigate jealousy which is literally i just like go do something else and one person was like but how? I just go do something else. I go watch a TV show and then like my partner comes back and we talk it out. There's right. not, it's not like more complicated. I let the emotion sit in the soft animal of my body until such a time as I have time to address it with the person to whom it matters. Then yeah. we chat. Yeah, that's it. Um, people want something more complicated and I don't I don't have anything more complicated but I can and like look if I really can't have something else to do because like the timing is real bad because now I don't live in a city so I don't always have something else to do I now live in the suburbs where like the whole town rolls up at 10 p.m I do other things to keep myself busy at home yeah I watch I mean, literally- a movie <laughs> literally- my partner went to her other partner's place 
and I got bored for like two seconds and I was like should I become a D&D polyamorous person and I you know no. I played with I, I downloaded <laughs> the guides I used to play D&D when I was like a, a child you know so I feel like I could get it again as an adult it's just imagination look so I, I also like, had a D&D phase and I'm now the only member of my polycule who doesn't play oh no and it's not that like I don't like it it's just I don't currently play and I'm like oh that's a lot of time yeah right no exactly so I mean the writer strike was happening right so this was mm -hmm. a few days ago before they announced and I was like if they're not gonna put out tv sometime soon I'm starting to run out it's gonna have to be D&D &D next and I have a VR headset I you know I can do a lot of stuff go find something to do Mm -hmm. And then I'll forget. And I mean, I do have ADHD. Someone, I, I was talking to people on TikTok about this. Like, it's easier to just like forget because I just do that. So I forgot we were fighting. And then I was like, oh yeah, we were fighting. Well, she's almost back now. <laughs> um, some people do not vibe with that advice. They're like, you shouldn't be forgetting. You shouldn't want to forget or be promoting forgetting, which I'm not saying that I'm promoting it. I'm just saying that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't promote a particular management skill but like distract yourself a little or sit and think about it and decide what the root of that jealousy was right if it's right. not like decide is the thing that you felt based on something in that relationship or something going on with you if it's in the relationship have a chat with your partner if it's in you look at the ways you can improve the thing in you yeah Exactly. So if it hadn't been triggered by like, we had an actual like argument, not even related to polyamory. It was like mm -hmm. about like domestic stuff, you know, when mm -hmm. you live with someone, you're going to also have those domestic things. So, so of course, someone I live with, I might be bickering with about like, a, about cleaning or, or buying something before mm -hmm. they go on a polyamorous date, like that it, it's inherent to living with someone. So like how, how, if we create a framework where every single time that happens, plans cancel no one's gonna want to hang out with either of us mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was I was just like I just sit and I wait and she comes back eventually because she lives here mm -hmm. that's really it yeah I'm not trying to convert to the polyamory I'm just saying that you'll live <laughs> yeah look I'm never trying to evangelize mm -hmm. proselytizing is not the thing but you could use these skills yeah learn to be in community inconvenience yourself for others sometimes set your boundaries and hold them appropriately yes and sometimes look at when you actually need a boundary versus when it makes more sense to compromise yeah i don't know it doesn't seem that wild you know i'll also add like you know accountability in the sense that like being able to admit like hey you know I think I snapped at you earlier or like no For like sure. I don't think I'm coming from the right place that like is a layer too because sometimes people go too righteous with that framework absolutely but, yeah that seems right on point so I'm going to cut off our discussion there but I just want to sum up a little that in fact as we discussed all of these things come down to really what it is that we all have to do to make our polyamory work for us in these different spaces. And it's finding that balance of boundaries, accountability, and what it means to build community for ourselves. Yeah. And so I really hope that all of you will go follow Gabrielle. Um, she's on all of social media at Gab Alexa. You can find her at her website, gabalexa.com. All of those are in the show notes for you. If you want to see more of me and Ready for Polyamory, I'm, of course, at readyforpolyamory.com. This coming Sunday, I've got a class that I'm running with Leanne from Polyphilia Blog, which is called The Polyamorous Home. So we are going to touch on some of these things that Gabrielle and I talked about, some of the more practicalities of it, both folks who live with one partner, with multiple partners, or how folks who live by themselves are impacted by parts of their polycule being nested. That's Sunday, October 15th. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, you're in the last couple of days to get a ticket. Um, yep, those are the big things coming up for me. That's all in the show notes for you. Uh, I hope you have a great week. And next week, I will be back with uh, Evita Sawyers just before the release of her book, The Polyamory Devotional, to talk about that with you. Have a great week, everybody.